This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Father, your Holy Spirit works in us and it is only in your Spirit working in us that we can praise you. So Father, this afternoon, we pray God that your word spoken forth will strengthen us and help us to have greater eyesight and vision of who you are and that we will be able to praise you more and more in our Christian life. Be with us and engage our hearts and our minds this afternoon. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, the Avengers Infinity War is that highly anticipated Marvel movie that... Any Marvel fans here? Right, anyone has watched Infinity War? Alright. Okay, this is the wrong crowd. (laughs) Alright, yeah, great. Well, it is a movie if you're a Marvel fan, you will never miss it on big screen. In fact, during my off day just last week, my wife encouraged me to take a break from the usual and just head for the movies before picking up the kids. So at 9.50am, I was right there in the queue getting my ticket to watch that with a big popcorn and no drinks because I don't want to miss even five minutes of the show. Well, it was quite an amazing movie if you actually watch it. It's an amazing movie to produce because... Where in one movie, there are so many superheroes that come out and vie for space. Because they themselves, each of them have their own movies and their own fan following behind them. So Infinity War is not just another movie, it is a movie that's a culmination of Marvel's 10 years of works. It has two dozen Marvel heroes, it consists of accumulation of 18 Marvel movies over the years that brings to this point. Now, I'll I'll not spoil the show for you, for those who want to watch but have not watched. Uh, But hidden throughout the movies are plenty of jokes, insider jokes and humours, without which you can still enjoy the movie. But if you have been watching Marvel for a long time, they intrigue you a little bit more. They give a bit more laughter and you appreciate um, what is happening and the disappearing of various characters. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, uh, you appreciate it a lot more. So, now the question you might ask is, Andrew, what has this got to do with the Psalms? Well, as we come to the finale, Psalm 150, on the surface it looks like just a grand psalm that speaks about praising God, speaking about hallelujah. Yet, if we have enjoyed reading the Psalms, over the years, if you have enjoyed the Old Testament, the scriptures, and, and what is involved in God's word, the emotions, if you have gone through the emotions of joy, of fear, of pain, of sorrows, of doubt, of hope, of thanksgiving, of reminders, and of expectations, as you read Psalms and Old Testament, then Psalm 150 will draw us into deeper desire to praise the Lord and urge us to reopen the albums that we have of history past, of the pictures that Israel took with God, of pictures that you and I have journeyed because of God. 
all the pages that we have found throughout the old hundred and fifty Psalms, the Old Testament, even the New Testaments, they, they become alive again. No, 150, some 150, so it's a brief hallelujah chorus of just merely six verses. No specific attention to a particular place or event. It has a broad stroke. 150 answers the crucial questions that need to be answered whenever you ask um, a psalm or you ask a question, why praise the Lord? 150, some 150 covers the what and who, the where and when. The how and why, you know, the five W's and the one H that you learn from young. And it's a summary to our call to praise the Lord. And we will all benefit today if we have been following the psalm, the five week series, or even today, um, what it means to praise the Lord and to sing hallelujah. But like the infinity war, in a few years time, or in fact a few months time, as you have gone back to read the scriptures, if you reread your psalms, and you come back to this last psalm, you'll find that in this psalm you'll be able to have more and more delight, more and more amazed, and more and more intrigued to praise the Lord. So with that, let's turn to Psalm 150, beginning with verse 1. Let me read this for us. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. You know, like the four other Hallelujah Chorus, 150 begins and ends with Hallelujah Praise the Lord. But yet, so appropriately, if you look at this, this psalm calls forth praises more than all the others. It's like a triple espresso within these six short verses. We are called to praise the Lord 13 times. You know, you have someone who loves coffee. Uh, I know Andrew does love coffee. Anyone else loves coffee here? Yep. Those who love coffee and drinks coffee, your first shot of coffee merely makes things move. It's the second cup that makes the colors appear. So here when we look at Psalms 150, it gives not just a double shot. If you look at it closely, it gives double shots on each verse and triple shot at its first verse. And it should dilate, if not awaken your senses in this last climatic psalm, that we are meant to praise the Lord. The psalm takes away the mind fog that some of us always live under due to tiredness or due to spiritual depravity of praise. That when you hear praise the Lord, you don't hear it. But here it tells you three times in first verse, twice in every single other verse, such that within six verses you have 13 praise the Lord. So now the psalmist begins with this question, where should we praise the Lord? Of which he declares in verse 1, this is why he says, in his sanctuary and in his mighty heavens. It's a picture of where God resides. In his sanctuary, the sanctuary is where the holy God resides and where people can come to him to worship, to sacrifice to him. In ancient Israel, that would surely have been the Jerusalem temple. In the beloved song, another song, Psalms 73, the psalmist by name Asaph, he sought to figure out um, and understand the struggles that righteous people face and the prosperity that wicked enjoy. He couldn't understand how this thing works until he enters the sanctuary of God into God's presence and then the aha moment came. And this is what he said from Psalms 73, verse 16, 17. I have it on screen. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. 
till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Now for the ancient Jews, the sanctuary would be the temple where they come to God's presence to seek Him and find Him and to praise Him. But for you and I, for Christians, the temple is not the church. The temple, as Paul puts it, is you and me. We are the temple of God. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. Let me read this one long verse for us. Paul says this, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For for we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. And so our praise begins from us, from within us. Just as it was for the Jews to be within their temple to know God. And as to his mighty heavens, well, what does that mean? Well, it could possibly be where the angels reside or the heavenly beings are. But if we take a step back and look at the way heaven is often used in Genesis and in a lot of other places, the heavens doesn't really speak specifically about where the angels are often. It speaks about the cosmos, the skies, where the sun and the moon and the star resides. So it says that you look upon the mighty creation of God and you praise Him. You praise Him from within, inwardly, and you praise God without outwardly as far as our eyes can see because the praise we have inwardly needs to be expressed out, outwardly. So where is the Lord to be praised? In the inwardmost part as well as the outmost mighty heavens. Now the real thoughtful, internal hallelujah that builds up within us if we spend time to dwell upon God it at some point will need to be expressed outwardly to the rest of creation and what better praise for you and for me to praise God than for the Lord Jesus Christ himself because when we speak to God and we speak about the Lord for whom has saved us and whom he sent that displays his greatness We are praising the Lord and as we speak about Him outwardly to others, it's our praise to God as well. What better place it is to give thanks for God's promise. For the Jews, it's the Ark of Covenant in the temple for us. It's God's promise fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. What better place or praise we can give than to give thanks to Him and declare Christ to the world. Right, because the Lord is not a geographical God, He is not a territorial God, it also means that our praise are no longer confined to just a location. It's not confined to just a time. But it is outwardly expressible everywhere, anytime. From within, outwardly to without. We can praise God in the morning, during lunch, before bed. We praise the Lord before meals, while waiting for the bus, visiting someone in the hospital. We praise the Lord, our hallelujah to who He is and what He has done from inward to outward. And that's why He says, praise the Lord in His sanctuary. Praise the Lord in His mighty heavens. So just verse 1, it helps us to understand where to praise the Lord. But the question needs to come, why do we need to praise the Lord? The why is more crucial or equally crucial for us to be able to go out and praise Him. And here he continues in verse 2. Look at it with me. 
Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. So the reasons we are to praise the Lord, even when our emotions are not tuned to praising the Lord, actually comes from our recognition of His powerful acts and His surpassing greatness. So our praise should not be dependent on spontaneous mood swings that we have. Like some of us are mood swings a bit more than the others, but our mood swings all the time. Our, our praise can't depend on the way our mood swings. Our praise are securely rooted on truths about God, the historical acts of God, His faithful character that can be trusted. That's what we root our praises on, even when the storm comes to us. No, we've been given reasons to praise from the past few Hallelujah Chorus, and now we're called upon to open up all our historical albums of His acts of power that differentiates God from all the others. You know, begin with His creation, His promises made, His promises kept, His rescues, His mercy for the Jews, His rescue and mercy for you and for me, His promises for all of us that will come to pass. So here is where we dig deeper and deeper in order that we can master greater and greater praise to Lord. Now Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, on some 150, he mentioned there are at least three areas that you and I, we can praise God for His mighty acts. We can praise God for His mighty works that's done to us. We can praise God for the mighty acts that He has done in us. And we can praise God for the mighty acts that He does through us. Let me say that again. We praise Him for His mighty acts done to us. And then in us. And through us. Let me, let me think about that together with us. We praise. Consider how we praise His mighty work done to us. What has He done? He's done. He's chosen you and me to believe in Him. He has chosen to love us. He has chosen to save us. He has chosen to taught us. He has chosen to promise us a future. He has promised and given it to us. Consider what a difference it is for you and me now to be able to praise God and call Him the Father who forgives versus the God who judges. Let me say it again. What's the difference for you to call God the Father who has forgiven versus just the God who judges? That's His mighty work that's done to us. But what has He done in us? One of the greatest things that Christians have is God put His Spirit into us. And when that happens, He changes us. He changes our self-focus to be God-focused. He changes our sinful heart to desire good and we cry out. He changes in us to learn holy griefs. When we grieve for things that we no longer want and it comes upon us, it teaches us to be able to have holy joy. Joy that surpasses what the rest of the world can offer to you. The world offers this to you. God offers you much more in Him, if we dwell in Him. And He extends our vision from 80 years to eternity. Consider what a difference His mighty work has done in us, where we no longer live as the birthday candle. <laughs> if you're one year old, the candle is smaller. If you're older, it's bigger, but it, it melts really fast. And you're always chasing people to come and blow the candle before it's gone, because that's how life is. 
Imagine how a difference has worked in us now that we look at our lives not as that melting candle, but a Bunsen burner that is piped to the gas that will never end. And you just keep burning and burning and burning until Christ returns. Because life continues even after that. Consider the mighty work that's done in us. And consider another point. The mighty work is done through us. What do you have before a Christian to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen a friend, a loved one? You can give all the wisdoms of the world, but it sets its limit at death. But what Christ has done, He's given not just to save us, and not just to change us, but He has put words in our mouths that we can speak forth and give eternal life to spiritually dead ones. That when they hear and they respond, they can also grab hold of eternal life. He done that mighty work through us. The mighty work that Christ has done and has given to His apostles has been passed now also to us. And that is the great works that God has done for us. Now dear friends, if you are a Christian, what acts of power that you will praise God for today? Perhaps tonight when you go to bed, just for a moment as you think, God, I want to praise you. And what would you say? What will come to your mind that you can praise Him? Because the more you start thinking and start praising Him, perhaps the more things come in. And you have a sleepless night, perhaps even, just because you dwell and realize how grand He is. And regarding His surpassing greatness, no, while many in the ancient religions, they worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the earth, the heavens, to God, this world is merely His canvas. He painted the sun up there, He painted the moon there, He painted you and me into the canvas of life. And we read His surpassing greatness as incomparable with any other so-called gods. Listen to Psalm 19, which describes how God treats the sun with tenderness as a creature lovingly raised to run His cause. Listen to this. Psalm 19 verse 4 to 5. In the heavens God pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. God is painting it for him, tenderly raising the sun to run. And how God treats the fearful sea that the world fears, like a little baby. Listen to this from Psalm 107 from 29. The Lord steals the storm with a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Isn't it right that when we praise the Lord, His acts of power, His surpassing greatness, that is way beyond anything that we can imagine. The most amazing power, in fact the most surpassing greatness that the Lord has, is not just on all of this. It is when He decides to put justice and mercy and mix them together, deal with yours and mine, our sins, and bring us instead of hell to heaven. What other gods and what other humans can ever think of such greatness and achieve that? You know, the Lord placed judgment and wrath due to you and me on Jesus. He came like a human like us. He became our king. He became our brother. He became our savior. He stood in front of us, between us and the wrath of God. And he absorbs everything as he comes. And he dies for us. And as he resurrected, the Lord in his surpassing greatness says, and you are forgiven because why? Because Jesus says you are forgiven. 
Even as he was hung on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he's finished, he said, it is finished. And with that, he died. With that, he rose from the dead. And with that, he says, you who come to me will join me in my kingdom of heaven. Now, brothers and sisters, there are days where you and me, we don't feel like praising very much. The days our minds are occupied. The days that our emotions have swung out of the window. On those days, the way we praise the Lord is not to wait for the emotions to come when we feel like it, but it's to fill our minds with the mighty acts of God and His surpassing greatness. That as we fill it on our minds, that we will be able to have one more sincere praise, and then the next, and then the next. And it's with that, the mighty acts that God has put through us, we can do the same for our brothers and sisters as we struggle. Because on the day that you are not struggling, someone else would be struggling to praise the Lord. And that you feel the person, not with just emotion or guilt, but you feel the person with the motivation of truth, with the acts of God, and the surpassing greatness. The more that we have, the more that we can pour it out, to our brothers and sisters or to ourselves, the more we'll be able to be strengthened to praise with all sincerity and not hypocrisy. Now, with guidance from the psalmist, this is what he has done for us and this is what we can do. So I pray today, perhaps some of us here or perhaps none of us here are spiritually dry. We don't feel like praising. If you doubt, if you're unmotivated, you feel like disengaged at times. This is spiritual mind fault that just don't allow you to praise very much. I pray that we wouldn't leave this hall without first praying, asking God to help us, give us the strength to read His Word a little bit, even this week, just to read a little bit of passage. And from it, if you see that there's anything to praise the Lord, taste the Lord and see that He's worthy to be praised. Ask the Lord, help us. Help us to remember His greatness. Help us to, for this week, just have time that we can read the passage, read a part of the Bible, and just pray on that passage that we have read. And will you not see that there are things to praise the Lord for? You know, most of the time, yours and my lack of praises is due to the fact that we cannot remember the goodness of God. Our mind fog comes in. And he let us drag on. Let's pray that the Lord will help us and fill us with more reasons to sing hallelujah rather than for us to depend on the next roller coaster emotion to come and praise him. So now we've learned from the psalmist about praises. Who are we to praise? The Lord. Where and where, where are we to praise him? Inwardly, outwardly, anytime. Everywhere. And why are we to praise? His acts of power, his surpassing greatness. Well then, we come to the next logical question. How do we praise the Lord? And here's where we come to verse 3 to 5. And it is a majestic orchestra that we do not find here at 4pm. So um, look at it, and we'll read this together. Praise the Lord with... Sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with the tambourine and dancing, praise him with the strings and pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. Well, we haven't done any of that today. Now, at first glance, it's a bit of an anticlimax if you are thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to try praising a lot, 
how am I going to do it? And the Sami says, well, these are the list, and you say, no, can't do it. But when it comes to instruction on how to praise the Lord, we seem to fail miserably if we are going to follow verse 3 to verse 5. Because at 4 p.m., we have no trumpet, no harp, no lyre, we have no pipe, no cymbals, no great dancers. Maybe they are, just that y'all don't like to show us that you can dance. Uh, those smiling more, maybe you really do know how to dance. Uh, perhaps, perhaps not. We don't have all the talents here that seems to suggest. So as we read this, we, we, we'll ask this question, surely there must be more to verse 3 to 5. Then really we're going to bring in all the clangs and clongs to be able to praise the Lord. Surely there must be more for the Jewish listeners and for us. And I believe so. I don't think, in fact, as you look at 3 to 5, this is an exhaustive list of the way the Jews would, would play musical instruments. There's not even specific tunes given, no specific style of dancing, not even mention of words to songs. But rather, as we look at this list, I think its emphasis really is on using every means to bring praise to the Lord. To use every means to bring praise to the Lord. I'm going to quote um, Woodsworth when he writes about St. Augustine. St. Augustine, when he, when he was thinking about Psalms 150, he said this, and I, I just quote him. St. Augustine said, No kind of faculty is here omitted. All are enlisted in praising God. Now the breath is employed in blowing the trumpet, the fingers are used in striking the strings, the hands are exerted in beating the tambourine or tambourines, the feet are moving in dance. Nothing is omitted in praising the Lord. Now in fact, if we think just a little bit further, using a stretch of mind a little bit, these instruments not only require the use of all their faculties, now, these instruments actually are means for the Jews to express meaningful praise because each of these instruments carry meanings that we don't hold. But it expresses what they have in their rich Jewish culture. You know, for the Jews, the trumpet, to us, trumpet is just trumpet. To them, trumpet is often used for the grand announcement of, of war, of the arrival of the king, of the coronation of king. In fact, it's so used, even in the New Testament, the trumpet is used at the end where Jesus will return. This is what we are told in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 or 1 Corinthians 15.52. I'm not going to read that, but the trumpet is used, uh, was used as being blown when the Lord himself returns and the dead are being risen from the dead. The, 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 the purpose or the function of trumpet has a rich um, meaning to it that it might not be for us at this moment. No, there is much richness for the Jewish culture that trumpet evokes. That if today I bring a trumpet and play, this is not what you're going to feel. But for the Jews in that time, it has its value in that. Or perhaps the tambourine and dancing, we already heard it last week in Psalm 149, and also about the Exodus where God rescued Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea and when the enemies were destroyed, Miriam was dancing and playing the tambourine with the ladies and they are reminded of the rescue of God. So the tambourine and the dancing were not just you know, going to Zook or going to somewhere to dance, but it is really an expression, a reminder of the salvation of God. So that brought salvation to mind, affirmation that the Lord saves 
Each time this is done, it is an expression the Lord has saved yet again. That is for them. And of course, the loud, well-tuned symbols will have surely woken up the crowds that were gathering there and trying to praise the Lord, and the symbols will just wake them up. No, it's not the same for us where we have symbols in our Asian culture. It's the symbols, you might not like them as much in our culture. You can think of various places you can hear symbols. Um, not very Christian culture it has been. But to them, these are the cultures. So how are you and I then to praise the Lord? What can we learn? As we mentioned, verse 3 to 5. I think the principle remains consistent for the Jews and for us, because the psalmist is calling his listeners to use all means to express fully their praise to the Lord. That was their means and their symbols and their instruments that expressed fully their praise to the Lord. To express it among themselves and understandably among their, to their neighbors or even to their enemies, our Lord is to be praised. So for us, how can we praise the Lord in such a way that we can encourage each other to praise the Lord even more. Perhaps for onlookers to see, ah, they have a God that they praise. They really do praise them, praise Him. Or to our enemies to say, this God is well and alive. How do we do that? Perhaps, just perhaps, we can literally praise the Lord with our singing, with our musical talents. Because in churches, in our gathering, people of different age, gender, social class, race, you know, as we gather, we sing together in one voice to God. Perhaps that draws attention to people. This is a weird group because they do praise in a way that I would never do. It's amazing how we can join other Christians in, in their culture. I, I perhaps Andrew, when, when he goes for a mission trip, he goes to a different country or Batam, you sing the same song with different language and you just sing as if you know what each other is singing. Uh, have, you, have you heard that before? Uh, I had that plenty of time last time when I used to go to to Thailand because we'll, we'll be singing the same tune to the lyrics of John 3.16 and somebody is singing in Chinese and English and someone in Thai or in their, uh, their local language and we're all singing as if we all knew each other what we're singing. We just assumed that everyone was singing John 3.16 and I think we did. But that's amazing that we can praise in one voice. So perhaps we can praise the Lord with, with our singing, with our music. Or perhaps we can praise the Lord with our testimony that Jesus is our rescuer before others. Or to confess we are Christians when we are tempted to be ashamed. That they look at you and say, you are a bit weird. Just as we are making fun of Christians, you raise your hand and say, yeah, I am one. Perhaps we praise the Lord by doing that. Perhaps we praise the Lord with our feet. That our feet follow the footsteps of Jesus out of obedience rather than to follow to the tune of the world. And they see that we are singing out of tune and dancing out of tune. But this tune just looks better. Perhaps we can praise the Lord in times of suffering that fumbles non-Christians and they will either have to think of us as stupid and foolish or wonder what is really behind us to be able to praise when there's nothing to be praised. No, the principle remains consistent for the Jews and for us. We are called to hallelujah with every means that we have. Now, dear friends, how will you and I use our faculties? 
How can we help each other to use our faculties, our hands, our, our feet, our lips, our breath, our lives to praise the Lord? Perhaps this song is sung corporately and not privately because that's where we come in to help each other to keep doing that together. To praise the Lord more with our lives and to encourage each other and to reveal to onlookers that our God is the Lord that's worthy to be praised. Are there more ways? I've just given us some, but are there more ways that you can think of that we could really reflect our hallelujah and our praise to the Lord? Now finally, as we come to the end of the Hallelujah Chorus, the conclusion of this psalm, if not the whole Psalter of 150 Psalms, we have just one more verse to sing. And in fact, this last verse sums up the whole Psalter, the purpose of our creation, and in fact the future that you and I will share together. So let's look at this last verse together. Look at it with me, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, as the psalmist cries out, let everything that has breath, he's fundamentally calling everything that are given life by the Lord to praise him. In fact, for those who are in the Jewish culture, let everything that has breath, the first thing that comes to mind is Genesis 1 and 2. God who has given breath to everything and life to everything. All who belongs to God, let them praise the Lord. That is what the psalmist is saying after 150 psalms when you reach the end. Where you have enough reasons and purpose to see that he deserves to be praised. In fact, this, perhaps, perhaps this could be a general call for all to praise the Lord. But as we look at this, somehow it creeps in that there is a particular group amongst all creation, that needs to praise Him even more, even louder. And that group is, is you, it's me, the privileged human beings. Because we are made in God's image and we are given life by His very breath. That's what um, Genesis 2.7 says. And let me just bring it to us from Genesis 2.7, that the Lord God formed human from the dust of the ground, and then breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and the man became a living, bring, a living being. You know what has happened from Genesis up to this point? Is that the breath given to praise God has been used to curse God. The breath that has been given to praise God has been used to blaspheme against God, opposing Him. But the time has come. Now is the time. As we reach the end of the Psalms, and all the reasons are given, He says, and you, the time has come. After you have been saved, so is your breath redeemed. Instead of opposing the Lord, now is the time that the one who has given us breath to breathe, we are meant to breathe out praises to the Lord. To use it the way that it was meant to be from day one. Now we can once again know God because that's how someone, if you have gone back to someone again and you come back to Psalm 50, you'll be encouraged again because someone, basically God reveals himself with his word so that we know him and we come back to him. Now we can once again delight in God that we are more loved than all the other creatures. And most amazingly, and I would just want to close with this point, is that we are not only able to praise the Lord, 
Psalm 50, 150, the last verse actually bring, brings this out there. We actually need to praise the Lord. We are made to praise the Lord. No, we need to praise the Lord because our joy as created human beings, as men and women, will never be complete until we can finally express our joy to the one we finally deeply love once more. Do you catch what is heading towards us? That 150 Psalms, this is the way it ends. That ultimate joy that you and I can have will never be complete until the point where we can finally declare in delight and praise the one that we finally fall in love again. The one we should have from day one. So let me close with a reflection that C.S. Lewis have as he look at Psalms and then points back to the love of God that draws our praises to him. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. It's a big chunk. I've put it in a few slides, but let me read this for us and think about it with me. He wrote, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till they get to express it. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not being able to tell anyone how good he is. Or upon some mountain valleys of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it. Now the Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him. But we shall then know that these are actually the same. To fully enjoy God is to fully glorify Him. So in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Let me close with that last sentence again. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. How appropriate it is to end the whole Psalter with this double, triple shot of praises to the Lord so that we may receive the double, triple shot of joy when we do that. Because what is lost when we don't praise the Lord is not just the praise for for Him, but what is lost is the joy that we are meant to enjoy. And that calls for us to know His mighty acts and surpassing greatness. So may the Lord grow our knowledge more and more, and so our love for Him deeper and deeper, so the outflow of that will be our praises, clearer and clearer, until the day His grand return comes, and our praise and our enjoyment will be completed. So let us pray as we close this. In fact, let us sing, or say Psalm 150. If you are with me, we can do this together to read Psalm 150 and that's how we'll close this Psalter. Psalm 150 Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the tambour and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding symbols. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. 
For more information, visit us online at bctc.sg.